I'm not your guru. There's plenty of other people faking that status. I am a committed man willing to intentionally go to war with myself every day and share with you as I do it. These are the conversations I have with myself as I do the damn work today and along the way. So no, I'm not your guru, but I am down to be your guide. So let's ride. y'all welcome to another episode of the committed man podcast i'm excited about this one because i'm here with my good friend dave whitley dave how you doing today man i'm doing fantastic today thanks so much for having me on i'm looking forward to this too yes sir definitely we've had a a long history um you and i go back years in the fitness industry and connected at some different conferences and things that we were going to I think back 2000 between 2007 2010 and um you know since then lost a little bit connect a little bit of a connection because we we're both just hustling doing our thing out in the world and raising families and stuff like that but recently we've reconnected due to some uh similar things that we're doing online so I'm glad we're here today um yes yeah, so it's been going on over the last you know 10 or so years that we haven't been in touch uh, well, I was in the fitness business, as you, as you mentioned, um, I was primarily doing stuff, teaching workshops and certifications on, around in the kettlebell world. Um, then I started working on becoming a performing strongman and keynote speaker. And that became like the main focus of what I was doing. Um, the mental aspects of doing feats of strength, like ripping decks of cards, bending nails, driving a nail through a board without a hammer, breaking change, that kind of stuff led me um, in the direction of using that as a personal development type tool. And so I started applying those mental training aspects to, you know, my relationships and my business and other areas of my life, hmm. got good results out of that, started using it with my coaching clients, got good results out of that. And then started uh, moving in the direction of online coaching after the pandemic hit and all of my get on a plane, go somewhere, speak in front of a group of people and come home stuff got shut down. So I moved into the online coaching space with personal development there. And then in the midst of all that, wound up having a child after a lot of uh, time and effort and trips to, to see specialists and all that. It was a very difficult process in getting our son here. So that happened. And I was actually thankful to not be on the road quite so much. And currently I am in a place where the emphasis of my online coaching is working with dads, particularly newer dads with younger kids who are fitness and health minded and also business oriented or entrepreneurial. And they have seen themselves exhibiting characteristics from their upbringing that they don't want to pass on to their child. I call that generational cycles of whatever, you know, uh, conflicting beliefs, negative thoughts around relationships or money or behaviors or whatever. And, um, when I, when my son was born, I took it upon myself to correct as much of that within myself as I could. And it's an ongoing process and it's become a, a mission for me to help other men do the same sort of thing. So when we reconnected and I saw you doing the committed man stuff on Facebook, I immediately fell in love with it. 
uh, not just Facebook, all social media, but I immediately fell in love with it. I'm like, this guy and I are vibing on the same frequency to a great degree. And then when we reconnected, we found out just how true that was when we started talking about books that were important <laughs> to us and, and various aspects of things that have happened during the time that we weren't really in contact with each other. So I'm really, really pleased to be here. Yeah, man. So there's a couple of things you brought up that I really want to touch on. So you mentioned having, uh, you know, bringing your son into this world. So let's give some context to that. So if you don't mind sharing, like how old are you? Because a lot of men have sons a little earlier in life and you have a son and yeah. I, I know you're, you know, you, you look really young and you're healthy and strong, but let's give some, like, let's be real about it. How old are you? Well, I'm healthy and strong and, and that's true. But my, uh, my, I noticed that somewhere along the way, all the hair on my face turned white not too long ago. And I, uh, um, yeah. I am 53 years old. My son is four. He was born a month before I turned 48, I guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah, part of that was by choice between my wow. wife and myself. We were having a lot of fun and uh, traveling and, and just doing all sorts of stuff that, that you're able to do when you don't have a young child in the mix, but then mm. we, we realized that we were missing something that we didn't have because we didn't have a child. And so, um, we decided she was, she's, uh, how old is she? 46. So she was 42 or 43 when he was born. So yeah, we, we got into the game, the parenting game a little bit late, which is very much backwards from the way a lot of people do it. But I'm really glad that that's the way we did it because there are things that mm. I understand and am able to, to um, just do in my daily life that, you know, 25 or 30 year old me had no awareness of. And so I feel like having mm. more life experience on the front end is making me a better parent on the back end. Man, no doubt. So you mentioned also that there were things almost like a mirror that was held up in front of you, right? Having the sun coming into your world that showed you some traits and, and principles in your life that maybe weren't as sound as you wanted them to be, as you were going to be teaching this young man, how to, how to navigate the world. So what is it that came up for you that you knew you needed to change when you were making a decision to raise a young man? Well, there were a lot of things. Um, one of the, the first ones that comes to mind, um, the big one, and I, I had done a great deal of uh, correction on myself within this area before he ever showed up. But like one of the biggest ones for me growing up in my family was a scarcity and lack mindset around money. Um, there was a lot of, of blue collar work ethic, go out there and work really hard and sell your time and get these scraps and bring them home and guard them with your life because someone could come and take them at any moment. And so there was just a lot of negative energy around money, finances, wealth, abundance, all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up, pretty poor. And, you know, now things are much better. I'm in the, in the six figure a year realm, um, as we were talking about before we, um, started recording, but, um, that was one thing for sure. I don't ever want him to, to have those kinds of feelings around money and around abundance, uh, or, or around scarcity rather. Um, another really, really important thing for me is it took me a long time to be able to have good conversations with myself. Like I'm really fond of the, of asking the question that if you knew someone who talked about you and talked to you 
the way that you talk to yourself about yourself, is that person on your side or are they your mortal enemy? And so a big part of my uh, journey and evolution as a man has been getting my own mind right so that when I'm having a conversation within myself, within my own secret places where no one else can hear and no one else knows what's going on, that that me and myself and I are all on the same team and that I'm not beating myself up over a mistake or I'm not judging, you know, my mm. the qualities that I perceive as my worst, most undesirable qualities against what I perceive as someone else's highlight reel and drawing an, uh, just an impossible comparison like mm. that. So it's been very much about um, my own self-concept, my own self-image and the way that, that I view myself and consequently the way that I act and view the world because that's where all that comes from. The, the, the way that we think becomes the way that we act and the way that we behave and the things that we do and the person we become. Powerful, man. What showed you, cause you do a lot of the, the strong man stuff. Talk about, let's go here first. Talk about a three or four of the key things that you do when it comes to your strong man feats. You mean like specific feats of strength? Yeah, like I know you you rip decks of cards. I know you mentioned driving a nail. Let's be more specific. Like, yeah, what what are three or four things that when you go out and do say you do a a show somewhere mm-hmm. that you do that people are like, what in the hell? <laughs> um, bending a nail is, and I don't have anything set up so that I can show anybody right now, but I've got a bent nail laying here on my desk. I'm taking one of these. This is a sixty penny nail. It is six inches long, quarter inch in diameter, and it takes about, depending on the quality of the steel, because it varies a great deal, it takes about 250 or 300 pounds of force expressed through the hands and wrists to be able to bend one of those. Um, So that one always goes over well. I included in, I don't think I've ever done a show that I didn't include that particular feat in, because that was a feat that the old time strongmen of the vaudeville era, and even before that, it was kind of a rite of passage. If you couldn't do that, you weren't really taken seriously as a strength guy or a strong man back then, right? Mm. So um, bending steel like that, I've been longer steel too. I've been wrenches, bent hammers, horseshoes. Um, someone once told me after a show, I, I took a, a longer piece of steel and coiled it up in this particular um, design. And they, they came up after the show and asked if they could have the balloon animal that I made. So, you know, doing that sort of stuff. Um, Breaking chains. Uh, I break a chain around my chest without using my hands, just through chest expansion. That's more of a of a breath control and and mind feat than than the others. And probably the mm. most mind intensive feat is the one where you, I drive the nail through the board without a hammer, because that is about speed. That is about one hundred percent confidence, and it is about absolutely shutting off anything else that could be a distraction. Right. Because when I was first learning to do that feat, um, my mentor, Grandmaster Strongman Dennis Rogers, had showed it to me, and I wasn't able to do it. And I figured out that one of the reasons that I was unable to do it is because I was hesitating. And I was hesitating because he had sent me a video clip of himself showing me what can go wrong. And he, this was at a, a live show in front of a crowd. And there was an equipment malfunction. I could explain all the details, but it's not really relevant to the story. There was an equipment malfunction. And instead of going through the board that had the frying pan and the license plate on top of it, that's what he was driving the nail through. Instead of going through that, the, ba- the head of the nail wound up embedded in his hand. And he happened to catch it on mm-hmm. video. 
and he caught the subsequent trip to the emergency room and the extraction on video. So I, I had a very, very visceral video image mm. of what could happen when things go wrong. So when I would attempt to do this feat, I could feel myself slowing down and I would tell myself, you got this, you're strong enough, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there was this protective mechanism within me. It's like, this is stupid. And and you know what happened to the guy that taught you how to do this when it went wrong and he's not here to watch you. So there was just like mm -hmm. all of this internal conflict, all this self doubt that went along with that. Finally, the next time I was able to go and train in person with him, um, in Houston, that's, that's where he lives near you. Right. And, um, yeah, close. I went, and, and he, he looked over my technique and he's like, you don't have any technical shortcomings. Everything's lined up just right. You're definitely strong enough to do this. He says, the problem is undoubtedly in your mind. It's the only place it could be. And he said something that, that really hit me hard then. And it's been one of those things that has sort of rippled out into every other area of my life. He said, you have to remove all the doubt, all the fear, and all the limitation that's in your mind because your mind controls your body. Now, mm. I took that to heart and I had some previous experience with doing, you know, meditation and breath work and visualization and stuff. And I said, okay, trying harder is not going to work here, right? Just like attempting to force it more is not going to work. What I have to do is relax and be confident in this. So I pulled myself aside, went and sat down in the corner, got in a very relaxed place in my mind through some breath work and got really calm and pulled up this image on the screen of my mind of me taking the nail and popping a balloon with it. So in my mind, I removed the board and I was popping a balloon with the pointy end of a nail, which is something that anyone can do. Right. And I ran through this mm -hmm. multiple times in my mind. And after about 10 or 15 minutes of that, I said, okay, I'm ready to give this a shot. I get back up I go back over and I go up to the board, get the nail. It's all wrapped up. And I hit it so hard and it penetrated through so far that I banged my knuckles on the board. So it went from not being able to go all the way through at all to mm. penetrating by, you know, two inches or more um, in the space of 15 or 20 minutes. So what changed there? Wow. This is what's really interesting to me. Not the fact that I drove a nail through a board and, and, and I've never missed that feat since then in a show. It was instantaneous, the switch that flipped in my mind. The only thing that changed was my perception of how things were going on and the way that I was talking mm. to myself and, and, and how I was seeing it play out in my mind. That was the only thing that changed. And so taking that idea that removed doubt, fear and limitation from your mind, because your mind controls your body. I started thinking, what does the body really mean? Obviously it's the meat suit that I'm, that my soul's walking around in, but at the same time, it's everything that I'm experiencing in a 3d reality, right? So so all of my relationships are part of my quote body, all of my interactions with other people, all of my environment, all of my circumstances, all the conditions that I live in are part of my body extended in this, this physical expression of who I am internally. And I thought, okay, if that's true, and I believe it is, this should apply to any other area of my life. And I started doing it, applying it, testing it. Because I don't really care about theory. I want to know what actually happens when we when we put the, you know, put it to the test. And it worked. And so that has been the the basis of of the majority of all the coaching that I do. And you know, you and I have talked about books that we've read and stuff. A lot of the books from that same period of time 
the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, yeah. The same period of time that was the, the, the height of the vaudeville strongman as a live performer, because that was before there were movies before, you know, uh, it was a live theater experience and if people wanted entertainment, that's how they had to do it. I mean, a lot of folks back then didn't even have radios in their house for entertainment. So if they wanted to do that, they would go see shows. And so that was kind of the, the height of the, the classic strongman era, but all these other um, writings that were coming out from people like, you know, Wallace Waddles, Napoleon Hill, Florence Govelshin, Neville Goddard, um, all of that personal development, um, new thought, mental science stuff was going on there too. I think that was a very special time and that there is a lot of incredibly valuable and important information that can be gleaned from the principles that people were talking about then that have kind of gotten pushed aside because it's not modern, right? Um, but, mm. you know, our bodies aren't modern. Our minds aren't modern. The planet that we live on isn't modern. Yeah. The only thing that's modern is the yeah. stuff that we've created by using <laughs> this incredible power of imagination and thought that we have. So if those fundamental principles are at play, I think that it it is very valuable to be able to go back and look at those principles and see how they work. And if I can create my own reality because I have an understanding of those principles, I can teach my son how to do that so that all of the blunders and all of the failures and all of the fall aparting, you know, uh, all of the stuff, the mistakes that I made along the way are mistakes that he won't have to make and repeat because I've just locked him into some sort of a, of a traditionalist way of thinking. Like to me, tradition is peer pressure from dead people. Right. And if it, one of the things that, mm. that I had to do was, was set aside the idea of like, well, this is just the way I've always done it. So that's the way I'm going to continue to do it. And look at that instead through the lens of, okay, this is how I've always done it, but does it work? And is it serving me? And what's more in the case we're talking about parenting, will it serve him if I intentionally let it pass on to him? Right? So that's, that's kind of where I am with all of that. Every man who's listening to this is really paying attention and just go rewind that last 10 minutes or so. And that's, that's all you need to make it through whatever your next obstacle is that's, that's coming because um, you, you just, you just laid out some principles and a, and a framework for overcoming things where, what do you feel has been your biggest struggle? We'll go back to being a man, right? Turning 21 from 21 till now, what has been your biggest struggle as a man on this earth? Understanding that I am the one who gets to consciously choose how I define my own masculinity, right? Because, mm. uh, and, and I became acutely aware of this again, fatherhood did this and, you know, opened up this, this, uh, way of thinking for me. When I started thinking about what kind of a man do I want to be for my son? I started looking at, you know, cause there, there's no instruction manual for being a father. And all we really have to draw on is our own experience growing up and who we're around after we're grown and what we see and hear and experience as a result of society, um, social media, entertainment, that kind of stuff. And, you know, stereotypes exist because there is a, a an element of truth in all of them. Like any stereotype of any kind of person or population that, that we can think of, there's an element of truth in it, but it's like this narrow sliver, this, this tiny little part of what the entire 
um, person or the entire population or the entire culture that we're talking about um, actually entails. But a stereotype is taking, you know, one or two of those little characteristics and then that defines the entire um, person, right? So I'm looking at all these different stereotypes of dads and, you know, like um, you've seen the movie, um, what's it called? Fences with Denzel Washington, right? And he's having the conversation with the the young boy, the teenage kid, and and he, and mm. the kid asks him, "This is his son." He says, "Why didn't you ever like me?" And Denzel goes off on this long diatribe about, "I don't have to like you. You are a responsibility that I created. I've made sure that you're alive and safe and fed. I don't have to like you." And just like throws all of this like emotionally distant, absent provider, you know. Um, strong, silent man bullshit onto this kid. And I'm like, well, that's a, that's a stereotype and it's being portrayed in, 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 but that's how the character was. Right. And, and so it got me thinking about all the different fatherhood stereotypes that, that we see, you know, there's the absent provider and the heavy handed disciplinarian. And there's the, the, um, the father who the teenage girl brings the boyfriend home for the first time and they meet and he says something, you know, the dad says something to the boy who's been respectful and, and nice and all that it says something like, if you do anything to my daughter, I'll kill you and they'll never find the body. And like, we're just supposed to accept that that's, that's how a dad is supposed to be with a teenage daughter, you know, and, and more than any other stereotype, there's the Homer Simpson, Al Bundy, just bumbling idiot doofus guy. Right. And I'm like, none of these things are, are complete. None of these things are who I want my son to grow up and become. Therefore, none of these things are things that I'm willing to be as a father. You know, there, there has to be something more to it than this. And so that led me to thinking about what is masculinity? What does it mean to even be a man? Right. And, and really ultimately it means that we get to choose. We get to choose how we want to express ourselves. We get to choose what we want to pass on and what we want to, to, say, okay, it stops here. These characteristics that I've inherited from my family are not getting passed on. Like one of the things that, that has for as long as I could remember that has quote run in my family is, is type two diabetes. Well, what also runs in my family from generations back with on both sides, mother and father is stuff like taking cornbread and pouring Cairo syrup over it and eating that and washing it down with soda. Mm. So of course diabetes runs in the family, right? So so understanding that that just <laughs> yeah. like health, just like finances, just like nutrition, just like relationships, everything is a choice that can be made. And it's up to me to define that. That means that all the power lands on me, but it also means that all the responsibility lands on me. So anything messed up from my past isn't my fault if I was conditioned that way before I was old enough to even know what condition meant. But even though it's not my fault that I was conditioned that way, if I don't like it, if it's not useful to me, if it doesn't serve me, it is my responsibility to change it and to turn it into what I do want it to be so that I can be the man that I want to be. Just not just for myself, but for my son and for generations to come, right? There's this, oh, there's yeah. this idea that I ran across called the transitional character. And that is simply put, um, a person, a single person who within the space of one generation changes the model so much that the entire family lineage is changed from then on. And there's no distinction between good and bad there, right? So I'm choosing to look at it in a positive light that can I be the transitional character 
um, with my son um, in all these different areas. You know, I talked earlier about how um, financially that's something that that I have dealt with all my life and have gotten into in in pretty good place now, um, health and fitness wise, obviously much better off now. So I'm looking at what other areas do I get to redefine? And it can be terrifying to think of there's this quality that, that is in me that has been there for so long that the idea of not having it there almost feels like a threat to my existence because my identity is so wrapped up in a, in a particular quality. Yeah, that's terrifying. But does that particular quality serve you or is it working against you? And if it's working against you, let that part of the identity die and let the new man be born. Man. Okay. So you've obviously made strides in your own personal development. And now you've you've come up with these, these frameworks and these principles that are allowing you to raise your son in a way that you can use all the wisdom you've gained and, and help him to become the man he wants to be. So let's talk a little bit about the work that you're excited about right now that you're doing uh, with the Advancing Man Project. So mm. tell us what is the Advancing Man Project and what has you excited about doing that work? The Advancing Man Project is the um, current state of evolution in my coaching. Um, it the name comes from Wallace Waddle's book, the science of getting rich, which we talked about um, recently that the, 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 the central idea of the advancing man or the advancing person is that they understand that life is something that is continually increasing and unfolding. And that the more we can help facilitate that for someone else, the better off everyone is going to be. And so I looked at that through the, the lens of, of being a father and I thought, okay, how do you track and how do you measure parenthood? You know, if we're talking about finances, we can look at spreadsheets, right? If we're talking about going in the gym, is there more weight on the bar or did you do more reps or did you run farther or faster or whatever? Those things are very tangible and very measurable, but, but being a dad, it's like, that's, that's kind of out there and it's, and it's more ethereal. Right. And I thought, okay. At its very core basic element, what is one thing, one principle that I can that I can use as a litmus test? Yes or no? And what I arrived at is in every single interaction that I have with my son, no matter what the conditions, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what time of day, no matter what kind of emotional state I'm in, none of that stuff. If every single interaction that I can have, can I leave him in some way better off than he was before that interaction. And if I can, then good. And if I, and if I can, and I didn't, then that's the only fail, right? I mean, there, there may be situations that come up mm. where I'm not able to find a way to, to make some sort of a, of a, of an improvement or a, you know, a betterment, something that allows him to understand things better or to, you know, develop in a better way, but I haven't run across one yet. The only times that, that, that a situation has happened when I'm not able to do that, it's been a shortcoming on my part that something in me, either my emotional state or, or, you know, whatever level of awareness I have around the situation wasn't up to task to be able to do that. And it happens very, very rarely because I've, I've repeated that to myself so much now that it's like, okay, I'm hanging out with him. We're sitting on the couch watching Spider-Man. 
what can I do here that will help him to advance and unfold a little bit more? Right. So we can talk about what's on the screen or I can, you know, say something kind to him or, or whatever. Right. Um, and the thing that I've found out is that it's not always fun and it's not always pleasant and it's not always a happy experience to leave him better off than he was. For example, um, my dad's birthday was in December and it's currently February and my dad passed away in 2020. And so on my dad's birthday, I was kind of feeling it, you know, as a grown man, my dad was, he was my dad. Right. And so I'm feeling it. And my son comes up to me and he says to me, why does your face look like that? I says, what do you mean by He says, your face looks like you're, you're sad or like you're upset. And I'm like, well, I am a little bit sad. And I started explaining to him why. And I started crying and he listened to me for, you know, the 90 seconds or so that it took me to explain it. And he said, okay, daddy, and walks off. And, and that was just an interaction. And so I realized that in a case like that, it would be very easy for me to fall back on one of those strong, silent disciplinarian stereotypes and be like, Oh, there's nothing wrong, you know, because boys don't cry and, and men are hard and whatever. Right. But what I chose to do was open up and be vulnerable and show him mm. a grown man who he knows to be strong, who he knows to be, you know, emotionally invested in him, um, who does what he can to be a good man, be emotionally vulnerable and express grief in such a way that I was able to connect with him there. Right. And so in that little interaction, which was pretty miserable for me, to be honest, um, he walks away from it at four years old, maybe not cognitively consciously knowing and understanding it, but he's been exposed to a healthy expression of grief between two people who care about each other. And if there's anything that all of us will experience at some point of our life, it's going to be grief, right? It's coming. We're going mm -hmm. to lose people. And, and so to just to, to, you know, be a man and shut all that down is not something I want to pass on to him. So that's an example of one that's not so fun and not so pleasant, you know, but then again, there's, there's other stuff like we were outside, um, and he was getting ready to go down his slide and he was feeling a little bit apprehensive about it. And he said, I feel a little bit nervous about this daddy. And I says, okay, that's, you know, it's, it's a scary thing to do. So it's fine. I understand. And it's okay that you feel a little bit nervous or you feel a little bit afraid about it. And he thought about it for a second. He said, can I do my I ams? And let me qualify what that means. Since he was born, his mother and I have both every single day told him these things that we believe to be true about him. And as he's gotten older and gotten verbal and gotten, you know, more conscious and aware of himself, more self-aware, he started using this as, as a thing that he does. And so he sits at the top of this slide after asking me if it's okay for him to say my I am's. And he says, I'm smart. I'm strong. I'm brave. I'm kind. I can do anything. And then he just jets down the slide laughing, giggling, had a great time like that. So it was really meaningful for me to see Ooh. that all of these times of telling yeah. him over and over again, this is who I believe you to be. He's internalized that to the point that at four years old, he can look at a situation that is uncomfortable and he can consciously choose to speak to himself in such a way to pull himself out of that and go back to enjoying what he was doing. And I'm like, I know grown men, grown women that that don't even think that's a possibility, much less that they're capable of it. If something sucks, it just sucks. If something's good, then it's just good. But really our mind 
is in control of everything. Our mind controls our body. Our imaginations create our reality. And so that sort of stuff, being able to have those interactions with him, no matter how it feels to me, but being authentic and being honest and doing it from a point of view, from a place where I am driven by the intention that after this interaction, some way he's going to be better off than he was. That's very powerful. And again, it's not always big things like this. Sometimes the interaction that I have with him is he's, you know, hey, are you hungry? Yes. Okay, here, let me give you a snack. He's better off because now he's not hungry. He's nourishing his body, right? It can be something as simple and <laughs> yeah. mundane as that, or it can be something yeah, as, no as profound and emotional as the other examples that I gave. Really powerful stuff that you're you're putting out here. I have two questions left for you, okay? Okay. The first question is, there's this idea that a lot of your advancing man project revolves around uh, with dads becoming the heroes that their sons need. What does mm -hmm. that mean to you? Well, it's not just sons. It's, it's, it's any child, right? Um, and, any child. and I just okay. happen to have a son. So I, when I talk about it, I tend to say my son more often because, because I only have one child and he's a son, but it's, it's true of any child. Um, I realized looking back on my own past that there were points in my life where as a child, I was looking for a role model. I was looking for a hero to fulfill a certain need that I was having emotionally that I wasn't getting at home or from my parents or from, from school or teachers or whatever. And so I was talking with my coach as I'm developing the advancing man pro project about this. And, and he says, well, all kids need a hero, right? I mean, at some point we, we go through these various different stages of looking at people, hero worship, it might get called sometime influence, role model, inspiration. It all is varying degrees of the same thing. And it occurred to me that if I don't consciously do the things that I want to do, and if I'm not consciously being the man that my son deserves to have as a father, then I'm selling him short because I'm not being the hero that he might need at any given point. And, you know, kids are, are looking for heroes and they're going to find one. They're going to, there's, there's no way around that. And if it's not going to be me, then is it going to be, you know, ass clown 420 on TikTok or, you know, twerk queen on Instagram or something. So, so it's my responsibility to be, the role model. And, and I just, I, I like the idea that if a kid's looking for a hero, it's up to us to step up and become that hero because in previous work that I've done and in the, the, the last book that I wrote, superhuman, you, I talk about superhuman powers. Um, our powers are, are the word power comes from the Latin root of potere, which means the ability or capacity to do something. Human is the experience that we're having and super means over, above, or beyond, or exhibiting the characteristics of its type to an extreme or excessive degree. So superhuman power means the things that we are innately born with and able to do as humans done in such a way that it is such a high level that it is way beyond average. And it's, and it's just completely, um, you can't not notice it. You can't not be affected by it. And everyone has superhuman powers. Mm. Everyone has powers that can become superhuman powers, I guess is a better way to say that. And so for me, wrapping everything up in um, superhuman strength, you know, strength that's being expressed uh, above what would be a normal degree, you know, ripping decks of cards or bending steel or whatever, it's sort of all evolved out of that. And I'm, so how can I take that idea and develop my power of being a father to a superhuman level? And if I can do that, 
and I'm there for him and I'm doing it with the intention of leaving him better off with every interaction, that impression of increase, that law of advancement that Wallace Waddles talks about, then I am aspiring to be a hero. Whether or not he ever actually looks me in the eye and says, daddy, you're my hero is completely irrelevant because it's up to me to take care of me and it in taking care of me and being who I need to be, I get to be that for him as well too. Mean to you to be a committed man, to be a committed man. It means that once the decision is made, there's no turning back. Once the decision's made, follow through is the only thing that's left, right? Um, we live in a world now where preferences get thrown around under the guise of being a decision, right? Um, mm. A preference means, you know, right now I feel this way and later I might feel that way. And so I'm going to show up different and, and that's fine. You know, like if we're talking about listening to music, there are days I want to listen to Van Halen. There are days I want to listen to, you know, Waylon Jennings or whatever. And that's a preference thing, but a decision, that word is so critical and so important that I actually, like many other words that I use in my shows, I wanted to go in and get extreme clarity on what it meant. Cause uh, as the quote goes from Tony Blower, the clarity with which we define something determines its usefulness. So I'm like, what actually is a decision? And if we look at the, the etymology of that and at the root of it, it comes from two Latin words, day, which means from and kaidere, which means to cut. So if we're truly making a decision, we're so committed to something that we are cutting ourselves off from every other possibility. Now, there's an infinite number of mm. possibilities. And if I'm going to be committed, I am putting my attention into this one possibility and I'm cutting myself off infinitely from, from anything that doesn't match up with that. So that's what it means to me. And my own level of commitment is I am, I am a committed man to becoming the advancing man, right? I want to express that impression of increase to everybody. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons that, I, that I'm so excited to be talking to you today is because what we talk about, it doesn't even mesh up like this. It's like, it's the same thing. We're just standing on, like standing on different sides of the table, looking at the same centerpiece is how I feel about the way that, that you and I are approaching things. Yeah, man, I think this work that we're doing is so important because men need their men and uh, there, there need to be people, men who have come a certain distance in their life that are willing to put themselves out there in a courageous way to say, hey, look, here's a message that may work for you, may not, right? But here's a perspective that I want to offer up. And if it works for you, great, because what I've seen is these things work, right? They're based on principles. Mm -hmm. So if we have enough men doing that, I think we can advance men all around the world because what I believe right now is that men are progressively getting weaker and it's a strategic weakening that's going on when you think about what's happening with social media and, you know, uh, news media and all the all the inputs that men have the opportunity to let in are becoming a distraction. And I think distraction is the ultimate villain. So um, I appreciate Definitely. the work you're doing. I know you have something special coming up that are that men can plug into, right? The dads can plug into. So uh, what's what's the workshop you have coming up? Yes. Um, the, the workshop is called Operation Break and Replace. And the focal point of 
It's coming up March 2nd of this year, so in a couple of weeks from when we're recording this. And the focal point of that is if we look at these generational cycles of conflicted belief, unwanted thinking, negative self-talk, um, habits that don't serve us, and, and things that, that we do, and we wonder why we're doing them, and we know that they're not what we, uh, what we want to do, or they're not moving us in the direction that we're going, but we feel like we're being controlled by something other than ourselves. That's all wired into what I call the internal code, which is the operating system of how we think and how we feel and how we act. And so we're going to, in this workshop, and it's, it's, it'll be between two and three hours long. It's, it's not just a, 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 here's a few tips and tricks kind of thing. I go pretty in depth on this stuff Mm -hmm. about understanding um, where you are and getting a good idea of where you want to be. And understanding that that any and all of us can cross that gap if we want to. And I want to to bring men into this and for just a couple of hours show them that they don't have to succumb to being a stereotype. They don't have to um, continually relive the sins of the past and, you know, the the upbringing that they have. That they don't have to just choose a stereotype because what you were saying a minute ago about about weakening men that the stereotype thing applies to that too, right? It's like right now, it seems like we, you can either be a soy boy or you can be a complete dickhead, toxic masculinity person. And that's what men are being portrayed as. And the fact is I've never met either one of those people who is 100% that stereotype in real life. I mean, people lean one way or the other, but it doesn't have to be either one of those things. Um, especially when we're talking about with our children, right? So my objective with this is I want men to come in. I want them to be starkly honest with themselves and say, you know what, in this area, in this area, in this area, I'm not doing what I would like to be doing. And it's up to me to change it. So I'm going to break and replace those generational cycles. And so we got the entire workshop that we go through on all that. I talk about the the process and the framework of, of, you know, step-by-step what they, what the steps are that I use to help coach men through this sort of stuff. And you get a really good overview of what the advancing man project coaching system really looks like. And it's completely free. The workshop is free. And if uh, the URL for that is advancingmanproject.com. you go there, fill out a little um, name and email address. You get on the list and you get all the, the details emailed to you about when and where and, and how to log on and all that. So I would love to see as many men as possible who are ready to, to take charge of this and become their kid's hero. Ultimately thing up in the show notes and Dave, okay. I just want to appreciate your time. I appreciate your wisdom that you shared. There's so many nuggets in this uh, podcast that any man listening to it, it's worth going back and rewinding. Just listen to the whole thing again. Make sure you get your notepad out. Um, the principles that are in this podcast are, are amazing and will advance your life. So make sure you go into the show notes, click on the link to go to the Advancing Man Project and become part of that workshop that Dave's putting on for free. Again, just putting goodwill out into the world. So, Dave, thank you for your time. I uh, really thank appreciate you. you being on. I appreciate it, Donovan. All right. Peace, y'all. We'll see you on the next episode.